Welcome to episode 113 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. I'm Cameron Dexter. <laughs> Am I forgetting something? No, I was just going to wait and see what would happen if I didn't say anything after that. And this is Tim Talk. <laughs> I don't know. We have a system, Chris. We've been doing this for 113 episodes. I was just curious, like, what would happen if I just completely... I'm on autopilot for the first four minutes of this. You can't just throw this at me. That's true. You're still looking up news. You're reviewing your notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just so curious to see if it would go off the rails. And guess what? It did. It did. Surprise. Uh, it did. Speaking of going off the rails... The world is crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And it's about to come to an end. Um, but uh, our friend Jonathan messaged me earlier this week, and he's like, did you see the Flash news? I'm like, what? So I looked it up real fast, and the only thing I could see initially was that there was talk about like possibly a November shoot date. And then I, he elaborated further, and apparently, because Ezra Miller wants to be the Flash so badly... I think the only person that wants Ezra Miller to be the Flash is Ezra Miller. Well, he's also the only person that wants to keep That's right. <laughs> the Justice League together. He's the only person that still wants to be in those movies at this point. Mm -hmm. But he wants it so badly that he apparently... It's, it's not even like a, like a kid trying to keep his parents together in a bad divorce. It's like his whole family is just like, yeah, uh, we're all moving. <laughs> and we're not bringing you. I you know what they should do instead of making... It's, a... it's a reverse Home Alone. <laughs> they should... They should do a movie where Ezra Miller, it's like the parent trap. It's Ezra Miller trying to get everyone back the together. Cast yes. of Justice that's, League that's back exactly together. what it should be. But he's moving so fast, there's two of him. <laughs> exactly. Because he just wants it to be the parent trap. This is the truth is that the reason he wants to do this so bad is he actually has the powers of the Flash. Yeah. And he finally has a role where he can use them. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's like this close to being gone. He's like, no, I must make this still happen. This is my only chance. Plus, could you imagine the idea of someone going to Ben Affleck and like, hey, we don't want you to play Batman. We want you to play yourself in a movie where no one else but Ezra Miller wants you to play Batman. Yes. <laughs> Just watch as he gets so much sadder. You don't have to stretch far. We want you to play a guy who hates his role, uh, but is doing it for the money. And to bribe you, we're going to give you a lot of money. You know, you can even do this like mockumentary style. Yes. Oh my god. This. Oh my god. I want to make this just, parody so bad. Just so much of Ben Affleck walking around in gray sweatpants. Mm -hmm. Every shot is a uh, Henry Cavill with a different kind of mustache yeah. or different yes. kind of facial hair. He's like going full on seventies. Mm -hmm. He's got the dreads. Everything. And Gal Gadot is just like too busy to bother with any of this. Yeah. She shows up for like one scene. She's like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. She's like, no, I'm, I'm still making my movie. My movie's still coming out. <laughs> and Jason Moe is just constantly walking around the background going, my man. My man. He has no other dialogue. He just, yeah, he goes up to every PA and just like slaps him on the back. Yeah. My man. <laughs> Always just like flipping an axe with his other hand. Wait, Jason, we, we have notes. We want to see if you want to do the trench. My man. <laughs> Wait, no, the, the trench movie, you're, you're supposed to be in this one. My man. My man. Just keeps walking away. I, I don't even want to see a DC movie. I just would rather see this. Yeah. So now, now what would the parent trap traps be, though, if, if Ezra Miller were to go through um, with this kind of film? Let's see. I mean, there has to be the, uh, like, the fiancé, too. 
So who would, who would that be in this case? Would that be like another actor could, like eyeing the role of Batman? No, it's it's still Ezra Miller. It's Ezra still, Miller plays <laughs> every role. Uh, he he actually. There's nothing about this that's DC anymore. It's him just <laughs> doing the Parent Trap, uh, but constantly calling uh, Ben Affleck Bruce or <laughs> Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just between it's like it's like him going to uh ben affleck and then him going to Zack snyder yeah or um what's his face jeff johns yeah charles roven's floating around the background there yeah like in one scene he he's just wearing a Lindsay lohan wig i'm like ezra what are you doing it's like it's Lindsay. i mean it's flash <laughs> There's, there's an extended 10-minute sequence of him just saying, let's get together, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. to himself, with himself. Well, he's doing the handshake to everyone. <laughs> but it's even longer. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the movie he's writing. We have very inside knowledge that this yeah. is the movie he's writing. And you know what? The thing is, that movie is weird enough that I could totally see Grant Morrison working on it with him. Yeah. Because that's who he's brought in uh, to help him write a version of the, of the script. that I guess he wants it to be darker. Like, Warner Brothers, understandably, is like, hey, why don't we take a slightly lighter tact? Because that works. No. That works. I was promised brooding. <laughs> brooding, sulking, unhappy Flash. As, as the happiest character of this universe, <laughs> I have to be mean. What, what does that say when Ezra Miller is the happiest person in your cinematic universe? A lot. Well, I mean, I think Jason Momoa I, like, took it from him. That's true. Yeah, Jace, Jason at, Momoa. At a point, Ezra Miller was was the, like innocent child of the universe <laughs> the sweet innocent lamb yeah of the as of yet unnamed dc film universe have to save one person that's going to be the tagline is he just has to save one save Batman. one <laughs> don't focus on saving the world just save one but can you Batman. save one ben affleck yeah from just pure depression mm-hmm. but yeah i guess he wants like a darker version Maybe because the it's possible that cause the whole thing is he wants to be this character so badly that he apparently is writing a version of the script with Grant Morrison because the one from or the the version that the directors John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein uh, they did Game Night if I recall okay and they're good. also one of the writing pairs that did Spider Man Homecoming also very good yeah I feel like they did something oh I think they did the reboot of National Lampoon's Vacation. Probably the less said about Not that. Not as good. The less said about that, the better. Um, oh, it does feature Chris Hemsworth and his swing and dong. I've never actually seen the movie. Neither have I. I didn't know that. Because that came out like two years after um, We Are the Millers, which was the same movie, but with drugs. Yeah. We Are the Millers is actually really good. Yeah. It's like really good. Did they make it a sequel to that? Did we or are we? I think they are. Oh, I wouldn't want them to. But what I if I kind of like it being a contained story? But what if they called it "We're Still the Millers"? No. Yeah, I think it's for that. It's worth that alone. We're the Mullers. We're the Mullers. <laughs> <laughs> Just make it all about politics. <laughs> the Robert Mueller film we've all been wanting. We're the Mullers. Mm-hmm. I'm so on board. I mean, if we're the Millers was was more topical, I could see SNL doing that bit with getting Jason Sudeikis back. Yeah, I'm uh, surprised they still have it. Like that's not movie's not that old. 
Uh, I mean, oh, I, I bet older you. Older than I thought. It was 2013. Oh, okay. But I, okay. Oh, wow. Six years ago. That yeah. Is, holy shit. Okay. That I has been, it was it has years, been a while. Yeah. Well. That being said, if I feel like the next time Jason Sudeikis is on Saturday Night Live as a host, which I'm sure he's hosted. So it's a, like twice. I yeah. Think. Whenever he comes back, they're probably going to do a We're the Mullers sketch, which I'm all on board for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess like what the. What is he doing now? Warner I haven't seen him in a while. What is he doing? Uh, upcoming projects three the angry birds movie of course uh lady liberty was supposed to come out last year um, i don't even know what that is a movie called book smart didn't i see that this one? oh yeah this one looks good that trailer looks amazing mm-hmm. uh yeah he plays the principal that's right yeah because it premiered at south by southwest and it's uh olivia wilde's yeah, directorial debut it. yeah it looks so damn funny mm-hmm. like i'm super super excited for that movie um Oh, yeah, Jason Sudeikis, he's great. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know what to think about that whole, the whole DC film franchise at this point is just such a fucking mess. Like, I feel like every week there's just some article about for the best that it's in. Like, I saw also this week that apparently J.K. Simmons is just still sitting by his phone waiting for someone to call him to come back to play Jim Gordon. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. I mean, he he's such a good bit character. Yeah. They just bring him back on as Jay Jonah at this point. Why they, not? Honestly, they really, really should. Like, that's still the best piece of comic book casting ever. I was going to say, like, when you, when you think of, like, the best comic casting, you have Sam Jackson's Nick Fury. Yeah. Because, you know, the comic character was based it's on, on him. him. So it's, yeah. But somehow, even beyond that, it's J.K. Simmons. It's, it's, yeah, it's still Jay Jonah. <laughs> even beyond Samuel Jackson, literally playing a character designed after himself, this is the better option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the live action world of this is a mess. Yes. But on the animated front, oh man. Cowabunga. They're just like, you know what? Fuck you. We're doing what we want today. Uh, here's a trailer where Batman's going to fight the fucking Ninja Turtles. Now that's already a comic. It is a comic. Yeah. And it's a comic, uh, I think loosely connected to the DCAU. Cause I think the comic was actually done in the BTOS art style. Okay. I believe that's awesome. I'm pretty sure um, this, then I kind of wish the turtles were like the 93, like the, the live action turtles. Yeah. I think that's what the comic was, was that the, it was the, like the cartoon turtles and the cartoon Batman. This is modernized versions of all of them. Yes. Although I did, it is interesting that Batman's in his very like brave and the bold style. Yeah. But he's still cowl. like very brooding. Yeah. Well, it's just also interesting. That's what they chose for that. But then they have like the Batgirl of Burnside version of Batgirl. who's like the very modern kind of more realistic take on her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I, care. This movie looks amazing. It did. I'm like, 110% <laughs> down for this film. It did look amazing. Cause what it's got, it's got everyone in it. So it's got Roz. It's got the Joker mm-hmm. splinter, obviously yep. the uh, foot. And it looks like they're giving uh Joker ooze. So oh, we're gonna get yeah, Venom Joker. That's right. Again. It's like all of the villains. Like yeah. they all get the they the all get oozed. oozed. Yeah. So, yeah. It looks so ridiculous. So on board for it. Uh, and then for voice acting, the one I was most excited for is Batgirls being voiced by Rachel Bloom. Oh, I'm like, fuck from, yes. From like, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, like, like, give her everything. I love yeah. her so much. Have you seen her uh her black box musical? Um Sugar Ray the musical? No. It's unbelievable, Chris. Everyone, go to YouTube. It's like a twelve-minute bit. Uh, is it Sugar? It, yeah, it's yeah, it's Sugar Ray the Musical. Right? That's amazing. Uh, and yeah, and it's her when she was still doing comedy up in New York, and it's one of the like 
it's one of my go-to things. Like if, if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to rewatch this. Uh, cause it's like half of it is them just making fun of Sugar Ray songs. And the other half is them <laughs> just making fun of Smash Mouth. It's so good. Uh, we have, uh, Rachel Bloom is Batgirl. Darren Chris is Raphael. Yeah. Kyle Mooney is Michelangelo. Oh, Kyle Mooney's great. Uh, John DiMaggio is Mr. Freeze. And then Tara Strong coming in with her normal Harley and Poison Ivy. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Tom Kenny as the Penguin. Yes. He, he, he was the down. Penguin in uh, The Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Troy Baker as the Joker. He's been the Joker a few times. And, and also Batman. as Batman. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if that's been done before. Um, no, I mean, it's a pretty fantastic voiced cast. Mm-hmm. When, is, when is this coming out? Uh, May? Okay. Yeah. Pretty, pretty excited for that. Yeah. Um, like... Excited enough that we talked about that trailer before the biggest trailer this week. Well, I had to get, I mean, that had the most, <laughs> the, the easiest segue. I know. We're just on fire with our segues today. Yeah. <laughs> Man. I mean, it's probably because it's like Sunday morning. It's nice outside. We're both kind of awake kind right of. now. It's not a Monday night. I'm not sleep deprived yeah, and exhausted. The world, the world hasn't hit us yet. No, I haven't even stepped outside yet to see how depressing the world is. Um, but yeah, we had, uh, the final end game trailer this week. Oh, man. I, I have to give them so much credit for how little of this movie they have shown so far. Yes. Like, but how much hype they can generate from like three minutes of clips. So how did you feel about the, their, the trailer, the, the trailer mm-hmm. primarily being made up of, so I was trying to say old film footage done in black and white and bits of red. I love it. I mean, I love uh, like monochromatic with the single, yeah, with the single. I mean, that was that was my design aesthetic for fucking four years. It was black, white, and a little bit of a color, which like a yellow or a blue. It it looks really good. I know some people are saying, "Oh, it looks like a fan trailer. Like it's kind of lame. They're not even showing anything." But I don't want to see anything. Right. Also, that trailer was very emotionally affecting. Like, I got choked up when Steve is walking down the aisle at Peggy's funeral. Oh, yeah. And you hear like, the voiceover. Like, holding it back. It's her voiceover. It's in black and white. It's just the stripes of the American flag in red. I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. This is just an emotional wallop from this trailer. And we got, we got a decent amount of Hawkeye this time. Mm-hmm. Like, we saw him training somebody to use a bow and arrow. So Presumably it's like, his daughter. Presumably his daughter, yeah. So I don't see how it could be anybody else right well because in the comics he trained kate bishop to take over for him as hawkeye mm-hmm. so but i wouldn't be surprised if in the mcu as they've done a few do you places, think we're gonna get a character introduction in this movie i don't think so no i mean the mcu is known for definitely kind of combining and simplifying characters for yeah. the sake of um smoother storytelling so that's probably going to be a version of kate bishop that's also his daughter yeah would be my guess but like that clearly is happening like right before the snap that family is fucked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I did have a realization, though, because in the trailer we see um, we see Cap doing a uh, kind of an AA style meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we assume is either for people dealing with the snap. Yeah. Or him dealing with him finally going to, like, to, to PTSD training. Mm-hmm. I have a different idea. Mm. I think he is taking over Falcon's job. Because we learned in Winter oh. Soldier that, that that's what he does. He does crisis. Yeah. What, what is it? What is it called? It's it's PTSD, um, like reintegration. Like crisis counseling. Yeah, 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 yeah. He basically yeah. So Falcon does that in that universe, and I feel like 
Steve is going to take over that responsibility. That is a really good idea. Like actually. he, like yeah. his his role in, in this moment is like he just wants to make sure the world keeps moving. Yeah. Uh, while everyone else is still kind of brooding, he's like, "No, we have to like we have to just keep keep going." That does make a lot of sense, and it's it's so interesting that this movie looks like it's going to take place over a decent amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely going to be a time skip. Yeah. It kind of seems like there's some stuff early up front with everyone united. And then I get the impression that maybe some of the more space-based heroes like Rocket, Thor, and Captain Marvel. Well, they're also the only three we don't see in the suits. Exactly. I think maybe they go off on some sort of mission and they're gone for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And then maybe it's at that, that point that... Steve and Natasha finally encounter uh, Scott Lang and they realize there might be another way to do this. Yeah. And they get those time travel or quantum realm. Well, I guess time travel via the quantum realm. I don't know. Like, yeah, that's the crazy thing is it's all speculation at this point. I know. I mean, that, that's what I, is amazing about it is like a film we've seen 21 others still has this questioning thing. Yeah. Now, do you think, cause there, there's, two major questions that we still have no idea the answer to of how does Scott get out? Yeah. And how does uh, Tony and Nebula get to earth? Yeah. Cause now we know they're both on earth. Right. And beyond that, even just like, where is Thanos right now? What is he up to? Yeah. Well, he's gardening. Yeah, that's true. He's, he, he's got a nice dandelion field. He's looking after. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think he purposely doesn't water half of his dandelions? Yeah. Perfect balance in every way. <laughs> His watering can is always half full. Yes. <laughs> Never half empty. Optimist, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, though, this is going to set a precedent for how studios approach film marketing in the future? Like, Because there have been so many complaints of the last few years about movie trailers giving away the entire film. Like Even the new Hellboy film, which, mm-hmm. based on the trailers, I'm excited about. It looks like really fun. But I also don't see there being any surprises left in that movie. Like We know everything that's going to happen. We know everything that's going to happen in Dark Phoenix, although it sounds like maybe part of the problem there is that there's no one left at Fox to like market yeah. those films. But do you well, think... Well, Fox is, Fox is gone next week. That's true. Yeah, the, the merger finally happens mm-hmm. as of next week. So yeah. That's... yeah, all my Fox friends are now going to be Disney friends. Oh, Yeah. I mean, for hopefully for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I also had to talk with them of potential Disney major layoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because uh, there's got to be some redundancies. But I mean, that's a mm-hmm. separate conversation. But yeah. um, I don't know. Do you think that some studios now are going to approach this being like, well, maybe we don't have to. No. I don't think this is going to have any effect on the trailer companies. What? But I mean, it's Ma- mainly because I had an in, I had a, a very fascinating in, in, in L.A. It feels very fascinating to have an interaction like this where I went to see a very horrible film that will remain unnamed this week. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm very ashamed that I went to see it. Um, where in, in the trailers, they played a Spider-Man trailer. They played Far From Home. Yeah. And the couple sitting next to me didn't know there was another Spider-Man movie. Really? Yeah. And we have to, like, it's hard for us to look past what we know. Because mm. like, clearly we know the Dark Phoenix storyline. Yeah. Because we saw it 15 years ago and we remember it. It's but terrible. that's us. That's a very small section of the box office. Yeah. Like we, we know so much more, even if we like scrape off the majority of our knowledge, there are people out there that still know less than that. And it's hard to, 
It's hard to put ourselves in those seats. This is a very good point because we are nerdy enthusiasts who also live in LA. Yes. (laughs) We, we are, we're not, we're not just like swimming in the knowledge. We, we are fully immersed like James Cameron submarine 600 feet below the surface submerged in the nerd culture. Also Cameron, 600 feet is not that deep. I know. I know. 600 leagues. We'll go leagues. Can you? No, because leagues is a dist- is a is a is a uh, uh, horizontal distance, not a vertical distance. I understand all the mistakes I'm making right now, Chris. <laughs> Just fucking give me a minute. Well, to be fair, <clears throat> that last mistake was also apparently made by Jules Verne. Can a league not be a depth? Uh, no. So so ten thousand leagues under the sea. Twenty thousand leagues under 20, the sea. Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. <laughs> I'm talking about the prequel. <laughs> The prequel that no one asked for. Yeah. It's, it's about his halfway. We learned that Ishmael was never named Ishmael. Yeah. He was standing in line and it's like, do you have a family? He's no. How about we call you Ishmael? No, it's, it's he's in line. Um, and oh God, how can I make this joke? I wanted to be a joke about fish mail, uh, but they misheard him and it's now Ishmael. It's fantastic. Thank well you. done. Thank you. Well done. Uh, no, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is they traveled a distance around the oh. earth of 20,000 leagues. I've actually read that book, but it's been a long time. I have not read that book. Uh, Surprise. <laughs> I have, well, of course, you haven't read any books. Yeah. I have a nice, uh, like, hardbound, like, collector's Barnes & Noble edition of all the Jules Verne stories. That's cool. Yeah, and I've read one of them. Nice. Those so, books are, be- I, I have a, a handful of those, like, Barnes & Noble collector's books. They're yeah. gorgeous. They're gorgeous, yeah. Um, my friend Jason, like, his whole bookshelf is covered in all kinds of classic books in that same sort of style. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're just, they're just well, um, gorgeous to have on oh a wall. Oh, my God. I, I'm so sad I just forgot her name. The, the woman that does, excuse me, all the, the covers is a very famous, uh, like, designer and hand letterer. Oh. Um, Jessica Hirsch. Well. Yeah. Good pull. Thank you. Yeah. Um. She's, yeah, she's very well known in, in our community. So, sorry, to flip back to the, to the discussion. Uh, no, I don't think this will have an effect on trailers because mm-hmm. I think this will be an outlier of we have everyone we're going to get, so we're not going to pull for anyone else. So <clears throat> I can think of one other franchise that would have that same sort of cachet to maybe get away with very minimal trailer. James Bond. No. Oh, well, because they can. Uh, I don't think they can actually. The Do one, the one I was gonna say is Star Wars. Oh yeah. That being said, though, because uh, you, you think about Endgame and Episode Nine are very similar positions where they are. Oh, I think not. Well, hang on. I think the, they, I think they're an opposite. Well, hang on, actually. hang on. Let me finish my thoughts here. No. I want to argue this base statement. <laughs> they are culmination films. Yes. So in the same way you could structure a trailer for Endgame around footage from previous movies and kind of basically like tugging on nostalgia and heartstrings and sentiment and then offering very little of the new movie, you could do that with episode nine, like going, well, they probably won't even include the prequels, but you could do it like the original trilogy, some stuff in the new movies and a little bit from the, the newest film with episode nine. But I think the problem is what I think you were starting to argue with me on, which wasn't a point I was going to argue in the first place, which is that coming out of Infinity War, Everyone loves Marvel, and coming out of Last Jedi, no one loves Star Wars. Right. The, I'm sorry, let me clarify. Coming out of Solo, coming out of the combination of Last Jedi and Solo together. Yes. The biggest departure ever for a Star Wars film, combined with the most mediocre Star Wars film ever made. Yes. So I think with when we ever get the name or the trailer for Episode Nine, uh, I think it's going to 
have to resell the audience, which yeah. is different than the position Marvel's in. Where they're not selling it anymore, they're just letting you know it's coming. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're definitely going to have to resell it a little bit. Because mm-hmm. the, the feelings about Star Wars right now are tepid, mm-hmm. I would say. But I mean, again, that's, that's from our perspective, though. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people that still love it. Um, I'm sure a lot of people still don't care. Yeah, I'm sure. A lot of people probably don't know that there is a ninth one coming out. And that's what's crazy about the world, Chris. Right? Well, People don't know the big issues. Well, like, this is the thing I keep bringing up because April is kind of... April is the most exciting month of pop culture this year. Because not only do we get Endgame, we get Game, Game of, of Thrones. Motherfucking Thrones. Yeah. And once both those things are done, have come and gone, you're like, is there anything left? And you're like, oh, right. There's a Star Wars. There's like the last Skywalker Star Wars film coming out at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. But oh right, the Dark Phoenix. Oh right. Oh, cannot wait. Oh, maybe <laughs> we'll see new mutants someday. <laughs> we never will. Um, but yeah, it's like one. I mean, it, it's just it's Star Wars is like so in the back of everyone's mind, except for Star Wars Land. Exactly. May twenty first. Sorry, May thirty. Nope, twenty seventh. May twenty seventh. That's the one. You got it? I got you, it. You sure you're 100% on that? Nope. <laughs> Might be the 29th. <laughs> Might um, be the 31st. This is the 29th. I think okay. it's the 29th. Uh, but I mean, so... For anyone who doesn't know, because I don't think we talked about it the last time, Star Wars Land is having a soft open for anyone who wants to come out to LA, uh, only in the Disneyland, California Disneyland. They're doing a soft open of Star Wars Land, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, May 29th through June 23rd-ish when it will officially open to the world. Uh, whereas in Disney World, uh, it will not open until uh, August 31st. Also, when they do the soft opening at Disneyland, one of the two rides will be open. Only one ride. Yes, Only one yes, ride. I know, Chris. I know. It's going to be a whole Pixar Pier fiasco again. I know. But just let me live in it for a minute. I mean, the reality is if you're able to get spots... I'm coming. We're going. We're yeah, going. 100%. Uh, I also saw someone did a, a physical map because I didn't realize how big this land's going to be. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Someone laid over the three biggest expansions over the past 15 years. So Cars Land, Pandora, and Pixar Pier. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three of them fit inside Star Wars Land with extra room still. Yeah. That's crazy. It's huge. Pandora's pretty big. And Pandora is also the same thing where there's only two rides. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, I know. I am excited about it. You should be, God I damn should it. be excited about it. Um, what I was going to say, though, is uh, with the Endgame trailer, we also like a poster, too, which looks great. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of controversy. And I love that the fans called out the fact that Denai Guerrero was not included in the credits up at the top, even though she's on there. And so Marvel swiftly fixed that, which I'm like, why didn't you just do that in the first place? Yeah. But for some people, a new Endgame trailer was not even the most exciting Marvel news this week. What else did I, what did I miss? James Gunn is back. Oh, yeah. Like I forgot I wrote that down. Yeah, I, I was at work, and again, my friend Jason text me just like the deadline article that he was back and I went and looked it up and my brother Wes, he's former guest of the show, uh, also messaged me the same thing. And it's crazy. I kind of didn't believe it at first. Yeah. I was like really surprised, but what the sort of scuttlebutt that's been flowing around after this announcement was that this deal was struck way back when this all happened. And that basically the deal was that James Gunn just had to 
lay low for a while and just let the dust settle. Um, and then he would eventually get rehired. Now, like, I'm excited about this. I think this is a good move on Marvel and Disney's part. Mm-hmm. Um, one from just a creative perspective, which is that that movie would never work without him. Right. Um, it would be a real disappointment to see him leave it, considering all the stuff he was setting up in that movie and for like possible spinoffs and stuff. And with surprisingly of all the people, Dave Batista being the most vocal through this whole process of like, I'll fucking cut my contract. Yeah. Also, I'm not surprised Dave Bautista was the most vocal. Like, look at everyone else in that cast. I'm not saying Dave Bautista's dumb. I would never say that, especially not to his face. Um, but everyone else, you can understand why they would take much more measured approaches. Like, I think in some, uh, in some ways they have more to lose. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, Bautista, and as I've seen through YouTube... Uh, is is back in wrestling right now while while oh, they're on hiatus. Yeah, apparently. So yeah, he he does have another career he can just go back to. Also, don't worry, Chris Pratt has like screwed himself over anyway, so it's fine. What's Pratt done? What? Chris Pratt? Yeah. What do you do? Well, I mean, there was the divorce from Anna Faris. Yeah. Who's like seems like the sweetest woman on the planet. Right. And for what I've heard, is uh, that he's marrying. Catherine Schwarzenegger after like oh, no yeah. time at I all. I forgot about that. Uh, plus, you know, there's the whole issue of his weird semi-modernist church being like many churches, very problematic with the LGBT community what? and there's him like, church like El- he, he didn't, he didn't see that. Like Ellen page called out Chris Pratt's church. No, oh, this is a, this is a while ago, but okay. he like, he didn't really have a good rebuttal on the whole thing too. He he's, he's doing fine on his own being problematic. Um, this is why he's the lowest on my Chris's. He's always been the lowest on my Chris's. Though. Okay. Uh, but no, so like, I think, I think this is really good. I think there's also something to be said for, uh, this is where it gets kind of but messy. What about Vin Diesel, Chris? No, I don't, I don't give two shit. Why hasn't shit. he said anything? Why hasn't he said, I am Groot? <laughs> he's, he's too piz- busy picking up what vest he's going to wear next. That's to true. To this out. Um, also just like, hey, just like over the fact like, that hey, someone else, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. That's yeah. That someone else got a spin off in fast and furious. Yeah. But look, the situation is still very problematic. Like the stuff that James Gunn was tweeting back in the day is bad. There is something to be said though, for figuring out how to move forward. And I think in terms of problematic celebrities dealing with these situations, well, James Gunn is pretty high up there for acknowledging like, it was his mistake. He apologized for it. He was sincere. He's made efforts to express how he sees himself as a different person now. Um, so that's, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it, it's, how do I phrase this? I think this is a very good thing for these movies and for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think in terms of the movement that's happening right now in the industry, I think it's also a good thing. Like, well, I, th- I think there's there's definitely good and bad sides of it because it is, it is a a form of a witch hunt, where like, <laughs> in 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 a sense, slightly poor word choice there, Cameron. Yes, you're right. That that Look, was a bad word choice. I, I I think, I think it is good that we're finding a way to move forward with people who are on the lighter end of the problematic side. Yes. The problem then becomes, does this start to set precedent for the very problematic people to start also get second chances, which I think is the potential slippery slope. Like, I think second chances are deserving of those who deserve it, 
but we've seen a lot of people get like second, third or more chances and not deserve it. Mm -hmm. And this might make it easier for those people. Like, look, I don't think we're going to get a return from like Kevin Spacey or Brian Singer, for example, anytime soon. So not Harvey Weinstein, but well, I mean, uh, what's his face? Just got a new movie. Um, Pixar. Oh, John Lasseter. Yeah. John Lasseter is in a new movie. Well, he got a whole new job, a whole new career. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's another interesting one too. And that, that's already having repercussions. Yeah. Emma Thompson left the movie that they were working on together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think this is good, but there could be unrelated to James Gunn or the movies themselves. There could be some negative consequences from mm-hmm. this at the yes. same time. Uh, but looking at a timeline, uh, just so people can still understand what's going on outside of the drama. Uh, he is still working on Suicide Squad 2. That is taking priority for him. Which everyone is very concerned about. Yes. Rightfully so. Uh, so that is still <laughs> happening first, and then Guardians 3 is going to happen after that's done. So we can, like, we're not going to get anything for probably two to three years. Yeah, I would, I would guess, like, what, 2022 at the earliest now? It would probably start production. Maybe, maybe they'd probably start production in 2021. Yeah, because I, I would think that... Do we know when Suicide Squad is? No. The Suicide Squad is supposed to come out? No. I mean, I think it's supposed to start production this year, so I'm thinking we're going to get it maybe end of 2020, beginning of 2021, at which point they could already be gearing up for production on Guardians. We'll probably 30. get a production thing at Comic-Con. We uh, might. Uh, maybe they might. Well, yeah, but I mean, is Marvel even going to Comic-Con? This is DC. Oh, DC, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, Marvel. Well, Marvel's going to have a whole panel at D twenty three. That's true, and you're right. For Comic Con, DC will probably announce like the full lineup. Yeah, for the they'll they'll, they'll do kind of what Marvel did when they started Phase two of like here's everything coming out. Yeah, and then DC will just cut off half of it. Yeah. Also, if this deal was already in the works a long time ago, they factored this stuff in. Like they definitely would have factored in time for James Gunn to go off and do another movie in between. Mm -hmm. So like, it's already mapped out whatever it's going to be. Like I would imagine that his deal on the suicide squad was predicated on this sneaky deal for guardians three. Yes. Yeah. Like his ability to do that movie factors in with guardians three. Yeah. So, but yeah, it'll probably still be a couple years before we get it, Um, which would be a pretty long gap. It'd be, you know, if it's 2022, five years after guardians two, but I mean, also factoring in Infinity War and Endgame as kind of in between. Yeah, stuff and, too. and we're at the state where you can have people just pop in and out now. We're like, ideally, the movie that I want, probably in Phase Three more than anything, is a Nova movie. Uh, oh yeah, which Nova which, Core? Yeah, which could put. I mean, you don't need. James, I would want James Gunn, but you could kind of just have Star Lord in there to kind of be the. The Iron Man to, to Spider-Man and Spider-Man Homecoming. I don't know if they'd even do that. I think if they were to do a Nova movie, they'd have it tangentially related, but they'd probably, well, they might include some element of the Guardians. Well, I mean, also Nova, Nova is the balance between the two, so he could just be on Earth the whole time. He could be an act, because there, there is the, the version where he's a teenager. Oh, that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know much about Nova. I know uh, just enough to have this conversation. There we go. <laughs> Cameron, uh, we barely even know enough to have these conversations. That's very true. Uh, but we are now 36 minutes in. 
Yeah. Uh, let's start the episode. Let's uh, yeah, let's get to it with um, the return of Ink because this is this is a great episode. This is a really good episode. So finally, finally, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's basically uh, Ink is still doing her her sabotaging thing. She's sabotaging some rockets. Uh, this case, the, this situation is part of a broader insurance scheme. Um, but when she's betrayed Egad. by, I know, right? <laughs> the most evil of all plans. Insurance fraud. I'm trying to think. Was insurance fraud ever a James Bond villainous plot? Not that I'm aware of. I'll have to look into that. Because um, it's, yeah, the most dastardly of all things. The but, true evil. Yeah. Evil that happens in our world. <laughs> but when she's betrayed uh, by her employer, just, she's, just she's generic shot with white like... CEO. Yeah, just a generic white dude. CEO. She's shot by a, like, particle... Destabilizer. Destabilizer. As has happens in our real world too, in insurance yeah. fraud cases, um, and so she has to go. It's a rec- big part of the Mueller investigation is there are particle <laughs> particle stabilizer stabilizers. Guns. So she's off to go uh, reunite with her daughter to seek out help. Now, I'm assuming you didn't know she had a daughter going into this because you had never seen this before. I had seen photos uh, from this episode where it's Ink hanging out with another woman. I did mm-hmm. not realize it was her daughter. Okay, I did not realize. I always assumed Ink was early twenties. Yeah, I think she's, I always saw her as a young villain. I think she's like, well, yeah, I mean, she would have to be like late thirties. Um, I would say older well, because her daughter's independent. Her daughter's. I would say her daughter's like twenty. Yeah, but I think she was pretty young. I would, I, yeah, I would, I would probably put her at forty. Uh, yeah. Um, well, she said she was even younger than her daughter when she had her. So I'm thinking like, okay, yeah. like thirty-seven, thirty-eight, okay. maybe somewhere around there. Um, now. I mean, obviously, I'd seen this before. So, do I, you think in this day and age, sixty and pregnant is still on in this even, universe? Even though it is already off in our universe, <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. Yes, uh, but in that version, they're talking about mutations. Exactly. <laughs> Super villains, sixteen and pregnant. Yes. Um. So, did you MTV really just grasping for straws at this point? There are no more music videos left. There are no more. They've already done uh, MTV Cribs Villain Edition. They've done the hills. They've done the valleys. Yeah. That's actually how all the other heroes were found out because they tried to do a superhero edition. Yep. And then all the villains are just like, oh, now we know where all the heroes live. Uh, and just took everyone out. <laughs> they killed them all. MTV is responsible for the villain apocalypse. <laughs> Could you imagine an episode where Darkseid does like an MTV Cribs? Yo, what's up? This is Apocalypse. Welcome to my home world. Yeah. This is my jacuzzi. It's it's heated by the famous fire pits of Apocalypse. Yes. <laughs> and Calabac is always trying to get on camera. Oh, yeah, for sure. Calabac is is the the Mike Wazowski of that universe. Every every time he like tries to enter the frame, Darkseid just glares at him, and like the Omega beams just flare enough for Calabac mm-hmm. to scurry off. Yeah. <laughs> and Desaad's like, yes, come into my parlor. Why do we ever bother talking about Batman at this point? We it's it's such a struggle at this point, isn't it? And this is even a good episode too. This is but a like, great episode. Okay, so my my big question for you in regards to this episode is: this finally gives us some backstory on Ink. Mm-hmm. Like this is her at her most sympathetic, um, because we realize we learn that she you know part of the reason she was committing all these crimes was to support her daughter all the way along and for her daughter only to turn out to be a total shit i don't believe that 
because what we see in the end of the episode is she's kind of paying the the smallest amount to keep her daughter alive, from what I can tell. Oh, considering like, like how she's much giving money her she an has. Okay, apartment. An uh, okay apartment. Like was it one bedroom? That was, but it was like palatial. It's got like massive vaulted ceilings and this like huge glass window and balcony. Like that apartment is nicer than pretty much every other apartment we've seen any character live in in this show. Like including, uh, no. including oh no, there's that teacher. There's the teacher from, the and Zeta, also, yeah, from Zeta. Uh, fucking um, uh, what's her face? Uh, Commissioner Gordon's apartment. Oh, she lives in a house with her husband, who's also the DA. Yeah, okay. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot it's a house. Okay. Yeah, they're do- like we've seen houses. Like you know, Chelsea lives in a. I guess that was more like a condo, sort of thing, like a small neighborhood. But like most people live in apartments, and they're all tiny little apartments. You even like look at what, like Mary McGinnis's apartment. It's not particularly big. It's fine. I mean, it's it's a nice. I I still say it's, it's a pretty it's nice, nice apartment. Nice, but it doesn't have like. It's a three bedroom. It's a three bedroom, but it doesn't have like in mass. the heart of Gotham. Can you do you do you even know the the rent prices in the heart of Gotham? No, actually they're super low because no one wants to live in Gotham. That's how she can afford this nice place. Just counted yourself, Chris. <laughs> She's paying enough. Where yeah, clearly the daughter has major spending problems. Yeah, like uh, the daughter just has no sense of financial responsibility. Like she what uses like five different credit cards to try and pay off the the tow truck driver who has a hitler stash i i do like the uh the way tow trucks work in the future though where they order to drop down and grab cars Cameron, why are you focusing on that and on the fact that the tow truck driver has a hitler stash because i didn't pay attention to that part chris how did you miss it it's sitting there on his face like a fucking hitler stash hey i mean is that michael jordan had one (laughs) and even he couldn't bring it back it's true. Even Michael Jordan, who is arguably like the most beloved man of that time. Yes, who was probably the most famous person of that time. Yeah, he was in goddamn Space Jam. For Hell yeah, he sake. was. He the was, most popular movie ever to be made. Like, he was able to bridge the gap between like sports fans and cartoon nerds. Like, everyone loved Michael Jordan. And, and people that just really like milk. <laughs> just the three biggest demographics we have. <laughs> Never neglect the milk demographic. Yeah. It's like got milk power. But yeah, like everyone loves Michael Jordan. Even he couldn't bring back that mustache. Why did the animators of Batman Beyond think they could do it? Bruce Tim, Bruce Tim was a visionary. He's like, I believe I can do this. Like even Give me that pencil. Let me draw in a a rectangle really quick. Even Charlie Chaplin barely gets a pass for it. No, he gets a pass for it because he had it first. He did, but even then, you like. And he also made a joke. He made a whole movie about that joke. He did. A great movie. It was one of the best speeches I've ever heard in film. I know. It's an amazing speech. But even then, sometimes the two get confused. Like that great, the great Archer flashbacks. There's an episode, it's the episode of Archer where he's in Monaco. And okay. everyone's worried that he's going to spend all of, like he basically has to stash away the the bear bonds that he's possessing at the casino. Everyone's worried that he's going to spend them at the casino. But Mallory's like, look, he he never gambles. And it like it flashbacks to her playing cards with him as a kid, and it was Halloween. He's dressed as Charlie Chaplin. Oh, okay. And he comes out of the flashback. He's like, why was I dressed like Hitler? And they do a revisit to the joke. 
Okay. It's fantastic. I mean, that, that's a long-running joke, though, because The Office did that joke. Yeah. But you know what? I feel like this isn't the only character in this universe we see with the Hitler stash. I feel like, isn't there one of the generals in either Superman or Justice League that also has the, the Hitler stash? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was a very, very weird choice on their part. Bruce Tim, he's, he's trying to change the game. Bull, bull move on the part of the animators. Bull move on the part of the man in that cannon deciding he's going to go for it. I mean, at that point, it's been... A hundred years. Uh, actually, yeah. Isn't this set in 20... 39 or 49. 2039, right? Yeah. So yeah, actually would have been... A hundred years. years. Mm. I think mm. people still remember that, though. I think so. Is there any other... Well, so so we have like uh, the what's the it's not the, the Fu Manchu is the two right? Yeah, the Fu Manchu is when it like it, it's like the upper half of a like goatee sort of thing with the it, lower part. Is there, is there like a Genghis Kong facial style? I mean, that's that's kind of the Fu Manchu. Okay, yeah, and that's fine. I mean, that's frowned upon now for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's not. So so is is six hundred years the. <laughs> Uh, the time when <laughs> facial hair gets its gets its power it back. Come back around. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's it's in the um, uh, the Legion superheroes time. It's totally acceptable. Okay, it's that far into the future. Gotcha. But Batman Beyond time, not quite there. Neo Gotham, mm-hmm. not ready for Hitler's dash yet. Okay, but Fu Manchu, totally okay. We're totally cool with it. Yeah, um, it, it's had its time. It's done. <laughs> it's, it's had its punishment. But. Like, even in that scene when, you're right, the the really bizarre means of tow trucking is happening. Like, Deanna, Ink's daughter, she's just a, an she's asshole. A brat. Yeah. She's an asshole. Like, it, I guess it's an intentional moment to set up the fact that she's kind of mean. But even at the end when she finally, on her, like, sixth credit card, has enough credits to pay off the tow truck, she just, like, makes fun of the tow truck driver guy. And I'm like, Why? Yeah. He's just doing his job. And like, even then he was super nice to you. All things considered. Yeah. He also gave her a card to uh, get her credit yeah. sorted out. He was like, like, I don't need credit help. He was being super nice to her. And she's just like such an a-hole all the way through. Mm-hmm. But I guess they have to do that to set up the fact that she's a total dick yeah. and betrays her mother. Like, did you, do you feel bad for Ink in this episode? Uh, yeah, because her daughter's a piece of shit. Yeah, there's that. I mean, yes, it, it's a lot her fault. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Deanna even has that line. Like, it's because at the end, Deanna betrays Ink and gives her the wrong mutagen. So rather than re-solidifying her, it, it re-solidifies her for a time, but then causes her to dissolve. And the reason she did that is because Deanna now had access to all of Ink's accounts and just stole mm-hmm. her money, which... Like, why would you trust her with that? Like, it's established he's terrible with money. Why would you trust her to have access to your Well, accounts? so that, that's why I think that Ink wasn't doing it all for her daughter, was because we saw how much money was still left in that account. If she was doing it all for her daughter, her daughter would have that money. Like a much nicer life? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Because it didn't, it didn't feel like even a 50-50 split. It felt more like, like an 80-20. She was getting like a pittance? Yeah. Now, do you... So you, you feel bad for her in this episode because she's like dying and she's betrayed by her daughter. Mm-hmm. Do you feel this works well, you know, uh, now that we're... Well, I think it's our third time with Ink. 
Do you think it works better kind of at the end? We've gotten to know her well, or do you think this would have been better off right up front to establish her as a more sympathetic character? No, I loved this being the third episode because okay. there, there's like two or three points right in, the, in their first fight. They are both talking about how they've both grown. Mm, how they uh, learn from each other. Yeah. yeah, Cause you know, the first two times ink is defeated through ice and water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now the third time that's Terry's first instinct. It's like, Oh, I'm just going to freeze her. But now she knows how to break out of ice. Yeah. And like, okay. And so now she goes to attack Terry uh, and does the same move she does in the first episode where she kind of wraps herself around him to suffocate him. Mm-hmm. He's now planned for that and has a, a, a button that will electrify the suit so she can't kind of touch him. Yeah. And it, it shows growth that I don't think we ever had in BTOS. I was just going to say, we, we never see Bruce adapt in that same way to his villains. Well, in the same way the villains never adapt to him. Yeah. Um, which it's kind of surprising when you think about that we're only seeing that now because mm-hmm. that is such a Batman thing. Yeah. To it shows that it's the you know it's it's just a game of chess. Yeah. And they're always planning ahead. And actually, that's a, you raise a good point too because we do. I s- do, don't I? <laughs> you occasionally raise a good point. Thank you. Uh, we do see him within single episodes of like BTOS, New Batman Adventures, Batman Beyond, learn something and then plan accordingly right it's like he'll be going up against firefly and so he, sh- he shows up in like, fire the, the fire suit for example or limited he, edition yeah oh that's such a such a badass suit yeah i gotta i gotta buy that toy um or we see him you know bring the tranquilizer dart when he's going after man bat or something like that but the difference there is that he always comes prepared in the final battle with some sort of solution but then that goes wrong and he adapts mm-hmm. he like improvises which is similar, but you're right, though. Usually by just blowing up something. Just by blowing something up. Just by punching someone, blowing something up, using his grapple gun. In this case, what you're right, it's interesting, is that not only does Terry come prepared, but it pays off. Mm-hmm. It actually works. Like, he shows up, prepared to deal with her, and the new improvements actually work for him, and it's not just like they're instantly dismissed, which is kind of fun to see, that sort of adaptation happening along the way. Yes. Because he is learning. He's learning how to be a better Batman. Yeah. He's becoming a better Batman. Uh, and then that kind of plays into the Dana subplot, which I felt was very weak. It was barely even like a B story. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a big emotional punch. They wanted it to be a big emotional punch that I felt like needed, like just save the, cut this little bit out and save it for an episode where you can focus on that more. Yeah. Because basically he was, uh, Batman's out of town for this week. For Bruce this is out of town. Yeah, sorry. Bruce is out of town. He's Bruce who Tibet. calls himself Batman is out of yes, town. Yes, he's in Tibet. Uh, and so Max wants, uh, Terry and Dana to go on like a really nice date now that he has time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Terry has, has a lot, which is, which is good. Has a lot of pent up aggression towards Ink because it was the first villain he couldn't beat kind of on his own. He's like, never able to beat her on his own. What happened in the second one? So, yeah, in the first one, it's Bruce has yeah, to... Yeah, Bruce freezes her. And then the second one... Uh, Terry gets kidnapped and Bruce has to come and rescue him and use the exosuit that nearly kills him. Oh, yeah. Right? So Okay, like, so he's never beaten Ink. He's okay. never beaten Ink and every time it's Bruce had to save him kind of at his own expense, at his, mm-hmm. uh, at his own personal cost. Yes. So he has a lot of aggression built up towards her. Um, oh, so so he ditches Dana again mm-hmm. for this uh, to, to hunt her down. And Dana kind of has the response of, oh, no, I get what's going on. Uh, he's using Bruce as a father figure. Yeah. And Terry kind of agrees with that. 
Yeah, that's it, a big that's a big deal. It it is big because they they initially set and it up it's wrapped up in less than two minutes. It, it barely <laughs> it like barely even registers in the episode yet because initially it's set up to suggest that maybe Dana knows that he's Batman, and then yeah. you know the actual reveal is of course that she just. They also have that happen in the first ten minutes of the episode, like save that bit for the end. <laughs> yeah, somewhere else because it, it is brushed over pretty quickly, and yeah, she, she realizes like oh you know Terry's drawn to Bruce because. Uh, he sees him as a father figure after his own dad died. It, it's, it is a nice moment on Dana's part mm-hmm. because we've talked a lot about how she really just gets the short end of everything. Like she's just kind of underrepresented in the show. Terry doesn't treat her very well. Um, she doesn't often get a lot to do. She's just kind of like the long suffering, most of the time girlfriend. Yeah. So for her to have a moment where she has more, kind of self-awareness and awareness in general and empathy is really nice. It, it's a really, it's a strong moment from her. Um, just like her strength of character. But you're also right. It's just brushed over so quickly. I think if they would have just given it one more scene. So the moment where Dana figures it out, um, have her be angry in that moment and then give us another minute scene where it's Dana and Max talking I think that conversation well, should I, have I w- happened between Dana and Terry. I think that minimizes something there. Um, having it kind of go through Max as a filter versus her. Well, so, so here, here's my idea. Mm-hmm. So not having it be the filter, see how excited Terry is when he finally figures out where Ink is. Yeah. And she sees that excitement on him mm-hmm. where she's, where that that's the trigger of like oh now she gets it oh okay yeah but then we don't get that punch where max tells terry that until after the ink daughter stuff happens Mm, so then that wraps up the whole kind of parallel parallel parent stories Mm -hmm. where you have the daughter that doesn't want the daughter that has a mother that she doesn't want versus the son who doesn't have a father that he does want yeah and so then it's like oh she sees you treating him like a father Mm -hmm. and he's like, Oh yeah, I am. And then that, that wraps it up so much better. That does. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a better way to handle it. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's definitely room in this episode for them to give that a little, although I did like how this one ended giving the daughter all the paranoia. Well, it's very reminiscent of the end of if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Yeah. It's the same thing where like the secondary villain gets away with it, but at what cost? So now she's afraid of every shadow around her that it mm-hmm. might be ink. And you know, certainly the, the final shot there is the implication that it's ink is hiding in the shadows. Oh, I kind of wish they hadn't done that. Yeah. Cause I, that's one of the great things about the end of the Riddler episode is that the Riddler's not there. Like it is, it's establishing the idea that the Riddler doesn't have to do anything. Mockridge will always live in fear. Yeah. And I, I like that idea. I think it would have worked better there if it's just her like looking around and realizing that there are shadows everywhere, not just mm-hmm. focusing on one that Ink is actually hiding in, but every single shadow could be Ink. Yeah. But it's a great ending. I do, I do love when a, a character gets their comeuppance. Yeah. But like, yeah, I was not ready for that twist with the, with the daughter. Yeah. Well, so the, um, there's uh, the Batman Beyond comic series that started in, like, I want to say 2010 or something like that. That started with Hush Beyond. Um, I think it's Dan Jurgens. I want to say, uh, there's a couple of like one-off issues collected in that. And one of them further fleshes out Ink's backstory, uh, about how she was, uh, 
a refugee who like had to flee her country and the and she was pregnant and kind of the only way for her to get into the country was to agree to be a part of this experiment okay and that's what resulted in her becoming ink um and it i think it ends the comic like the um because like the narrative superstructure of the whole thing takes place after this episode. So even though Deanna betrays Ink, she is still looking out for her. Like Ink is still looking out for her even after the fact. Okay. So it's even more heartbreaking when you get into the comic. It's really good. Cool. Yeah. We're checking out at some point. All right. Um, all right. So now we talk about the lesser episode of this week with I think if they would have big time. If they would have included one scene at the opening of this episode, I think this could have been great. What do you think? Oh, so real quickly, the, the plot here is that uh, a former friend of Terry's just gets out of jail. Charlie Big Time. Good old Charlie Big Time. Charlie Big Dick Charlie. <laughs> That's his nickname is Charlie Big Dick Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Self-appointed. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one's actually seen said Big Dick to corroborate it. Yeah. Self-appointed nickname. He gets out of like, jail. Is it, is it also named? Did you also name your dick Charlie? Is that <laughs> is that the? Th- it's like no, I'm Charlie Big Dick Charlie. What's going on? Yeah, but his dick is named Big Dick Charlie. Yeah, his nickname is Charlie Big Dick Charlie. Yeah, no, his name is just Charlie. He's talking about both parts of him. <laughs> I'm here, me Charlie, and also Big Dick Charlie. We're both here, ready to fight some, ready to ready to do some crime. <laughs> Charlie, big time Charlie. There's, there's a joke in there about Charlie's angels. I'm not even sure what to make out of it. Um, but he gets out of jail and initially wants Terry to uh, join him on a job. But we re- come to realize that's actually just a ploy to garner Terry's sympathy and help get Big Dick Charlie a job. Hey, Charlie, Big Dick Charlie. Charlie, Big come Dick on. Charlie. A job at Wayne. He didn't Tech. go through all his shit for you to for you to shorten his name. He didn't go through three years in prison to not be called Charlie Big Dick Charlie. Yeah, he. Um, it's all poised to get access to Wayne Tech so we can try and steal this chemical compound for a competitor, which definitely has not been around since 1992 when Poison Ivy first made it. Let that be yeah. clear. This is a Wayne Powers invention, because- experimental thing which was definitely not perfected 30 years ago by someone else. And stolen by Bruce Wayne yes. and hidden in a lab. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it's a plant growth chemical. Yeah, a plant growth hormone um, to, to expedite the growing process. Yeah, which is like, she could just do that on her own, basically, with like a teardrop. Yeah, she's been doing this for decades. I know. <laughs> I was honestly expecting Poison Ivy to be like a villain in this episode. Do you think Bruce Wayne, killed her? Yes. Yes. Yes, abso- I do. Absolutely. Uh, and then after he killed her, that he built Wayne Powers as a cover <laughs> off of the technological achievements of his villains. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm sure there's some like uh, fear fear removal thing mm-hmm. for like uh athletes for yep. professional athletes and uh and uh people that this uh probably people who want to go on roller coasters but can't <laughs> yeah. 
You know, yeah, it's, it's the same thing as like the, the seasick patch that you put yeah. behind your ear. Yeah. There's just the, the no fear patch. The no fear patch. Yeah. The, the fear equivalent of Dramamine. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, Bruce has a fantastic playing card company. Yeah. Uh, and an, an amazing line of umbrellas. <laughs> yes. So many great umbrellas. He's got so many puzzles. Mm-hmm. He has a fantastic clay health spa. Yeah. Too. It just takes, Unbelievable. Ye- takes years off. Mm-hmm. You really come out a new person. Yeah. Um, an army of replicants. Mm-hmm. Most of the employees of Wayne Tech are, in fact, robots. Yeah. Uh, he's got a whole just uh, museum of bats. <laughs> no, no, a zoo. A whole bat zoo. Uh, he also has a bunch of children working in his sewers. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so on the surface, they're all replicants. It's all robots. Yeah, but down but, below, but behind you scenes, have children below the surface building robots to work above the surface. Yes. Bruce, you monster. Uh, but yeah, so there's this chemical, and there's some competitors that essentially want to steal it. Um, and we do finally, though, get the story behind why Terry was in juvie. Mm-hmm. Which is like, what the story is basically that his parents had just gotten divorced. He was like lost and angry and frustrated. Uh, Charlie, big dick Charlie, Thank you. was like, hey, we're gonna try and steal this stuff. Come and help. And no, he doesn't. He never tells them. He never tells them what they're oh, doing. Oh, he doesn't. They're, right. they're, just, they're just miscreants on their own. Yeah. And Charlie, big dick Charlie, <laughs> is, um, he just starts hanging out with the wrong group. Yeah. And Terry just being the young impressionable child that he is tags along goes along with it mm-hmm. not yeah, not knowing that they're gonna yeah. pull off a heist and so he gets they get caught and because terry was underage he only gets three months in juvie whereas charlie big dick charlie gets three years in prison mm-hmm. um where he just became even more of an asshole yeah so this is oh and so then um bruce or not bruce terry pulls some strings with bruce to get charlie big dick charlie a job at wayne tech um, but I think it's interesting that Bruce is hesitant to do that considering it's well established. He always hires ex cons. Mm-hmm. Like he goes out of his way to help people, but only people that want to kind of, the, that want the help. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, good old Arnold Wessler, mm-hmm. who I think still canonically is the only villain with a happy ending, right? Y- yes. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure on that. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess, I think Selena kind of gets a happy ending. She gets away. Yeah. Um, all the rest of them, terrible lives. Most of them are dead. Um, Most of them are being Bruce has stolen their, <laughs> <laughs> Bruce has stolen their stuff. Um, that, I guess it's a good point. Yeah, it's like Arnold Wessler or the, uh, the henchman from Old Wounds, the one that gets intimidated in front of his kid and then Bruce hires him. Yeah. But that, like, I remember that scene like, Almost makes me cry every time I watch it. It's so fucking sweet. But anywho, yeah, Bruce doesn't want to hire him, but he he begrudgingly does. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we learn that that was part of the plan. Charlie Big Dick Charlie was cellmates with um the competitor. The oh yeah, the competitor, the Agricorp or whatever. I don't remember the guy's name, but I saw that he was voiced by Robert. Uh, um, I was going to say Robert Pattinson, which is absolutely not true. Uh, oh, my. Uh, Robert Patrick. My God. Okay. I, I get the mistake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very, very interchangeable actors, Robert Pattinson and Robert Patrick. Also, Cameron, do you know who Robert Patrick is? Nope. I assume Robert Pattinson's father? No. 
<laughs> Robert Senior? That would be Bob Pattinson. Oh, uh, No, Robert Patrick was the T-1000. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, like, many other things. Like, that's what he's most known for. Yeah. Um, for his very robotic running. Yeah. I once rode in an elevator with him in Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. I don't think we didn't really exchange anything. I think Hawaiian I just, like, elevators. A lot of a lot of shit happens in there. <laughs> well, it's the only place you get like cornered, trapped with people. Yeah. Well, my mom met Steven Tyler in a Hawaiian elevator. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Was there love in an elevator? N- not that she told me. <laughs> By the way, Cameron, you probably don't get that joke. That's an Aerosmith song. I did not get that joke. <laughs> Uh, no, but she said he was the skinniest person she's ever met. I bet. Uh, that when she saw him, she was scared for his health. He, how, he, was, how, he was that skinny. When was this? Oh, like 80s, not early 90s. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So probably like peak drug use for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He now, he now lives out in Maui, actually. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All ties back to Maui. Yeah. That's Hawaiian elevators. Loving an elevator. No. <laughs> nope. No. No. I, I know Hawaiian roller coaster ride. Hey, there we go. But can you sing the Hawaiian part of it? Uh, I can, but I will not. Let's on, not do that. <laughs> Best not. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's happening with, with Charlie Big Dick Charlie here? Uh, they fail the first heist. Uh, Charlie Big Dick Charlie is being held captive by, not held captive, but kind of held. Uh, his life on the line by, um, I'm just going to call him Vega, because he's definitely just Vega from Street Fighter. Oh, the claws? Yeah. Yeah. Those are cool, though. They are pretty cool. Yeah, like, he has this kind of, like, metal corset that he just, I guess, what, like, magnetically draws the blades out of. Mm-hmm. So they don't deploy, like, they're, it's, it's kind of like unsheathing a knife I mean, but it's attached to your hand yeah but they're also not on the outside like wolf they're, claws. they're on the inside yeah yeah, yeah they're, they're in between his fingers on the inside and i thought that was really cool i, I kind of paused it and kind of thought about the mechanic of that and it was it was, it was, it was cool it was, it was cool i mean was he wearing gloves too no. i mean because i feel like if you were to close your fist you would like squeeze those knives which might be kind of sharp it's future tech <laughs> they are only pointy up front exactly um but they they are effective. Like they rip the bat suit up. Yeah. Every time, bat suit takes a lot of damage in these two episodes. Yeah. A lot of exposed circuitry on there. Mm-hmm. What if that's a note they got? That's like, hey, people love it when we see like the bat suit circuitry because we do. We do. Yeah. I love it when I see. Well, I mean, I, it's kind of the only time we feel stakes. Yeah, that's true. Since we can't see, I mean, we there is a face, but we can't see Terry's face. Yeah. It's, I think it, like, it it gives a lot more anguish to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Raises those stakes. Kairos um, is his name, but we're just going to call him Vega. Yes. Uh, what happens? Who I, I I had these notes of, oh, I really, I really like Kairos' claws. Oh, and he killed himself. <laughs> oh. Or my back-to-back notes. Technically, he didn't, because no, they, he did. like, yeah. he just sent to, but he, he's definitely dead. Yeah. Like, he's so, 100% dead. Yeah, because he, like. He fell off he, what's at least a 30-story building. Yeah, he, like, slashes the ground of this balcony, and then the balcony, like, collapses underneath him. And Batman just stands there and just looks at him as he falls. Yeah. Terry continuing to kill his villains. Yeah. Left and right. Um, but we're also ignoring the huge moment in this episode where Charlie, Big Dick Charlie, gets exposed to gets said... Gets Big Dick. <laughs> yeah, probably does, actually. He gets exposed to this chemical and grows into this grotesque monster he reminds me of the um the venom monster from young justice 
Oh, yeah. Like th- this is like like this is the first draft of that guy. Yeah, he's ugly. Super ugly. Also, I was reading the trivia, something I did not think about during the episode, but he um he's asymmetrical. Like he has this growth, but his right arm is still normal sized. Yeah, because he only got hit on the left side. Yeah, he was wearing a glove. I didn't really think about that. Oh, I didn't think about the glove. I just saw the chemical only hit him on one side. Yeah, but he had the glove on. That's why that arm was less affected. Oh. So it's it's also I don't understand exactly how that chemical is supposed to cause that reaction of turning him into this weird, like gross rock monster. Hmm. Like it's a plant growth thing. Like it I guess it would I mean, maybe it wasn't rock, maybe it was just muscle. I mean it looked kinda rock ass. It did, but that might have just been like it might have just been like a coloring thing. He kinda looks like the elephant man afterwards. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just weird. It is. So, um, yeah. Oh, and so, so in the middle of that, he, uh, before he turns into a monster, Charlie asks, uh, Terry to steal 40,000 credits from Bruce. Oh, that's right. His, yeah. Pay off his ransom. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the episode. It's, uh, I don't think it's particularly great. Here's what you needed. Here's what, you needed one scene at the beginning. Tell me more. Tell me more. And that's all. Now I think it would have made this, this whole episode amazing. Start the episode off with young Charlie. A oh, flashback. Yes. Mm. Uh, small uh, Charlie, small Dick Charlie, and, uh, and, and and Tiny Terry, and Tiny Terry, as he calls him. Yeah. Um, where you learned that Charlie is the first one to teach Terry how to fight. Oh, okay. Um, and he shows him like, you know, they're, they're kind of rough housing and Charlie's like, Oh, you know, he, he does some move where he knocks Terry on his back. He's like, Oh, you can't beat me. I'm big time. I know I'm the big time. I think, I think too big for you, tiny Terry. Um, I'm Charlie, big Dick Charlie. You call me Charlie, big Dick Charlie from now on (laughs) says the 13 year old. Yeah. Um, some kind of moment where you, where you see the superiority where, you see the idolship between Terry and Charlie Big Dick Charlie. Yeah. Um, so then you cut to his reappearance, and then you then you have that whole conversation of you haven't changed, and that's the crux of the episode, is how much they have changed, how much and how little they have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have the moment of like, oh, he put the track, he put the tracker on it. That's that's small shit. That's yeah. that means nothing. So then he comes to the final fight scene because you you need something where they both kind of recognize they are each other without saying who they are. And I think you do that by having that, like by having Charlie Big Dick Charlie's like signature move mm-hmm. where you, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give him like, like a, like a overhand cross. It's okay. Kind of, it's, it's his signature move. And so then in that final scene with his super arm, he does this move and Terry dodges it and knocks him off, you know, knocks him out from, you know, learning how to overcome that one thing. Yeah. And then that shows, you know, how Charlie has not changed in all this time. He thinks he's gotten better, more devious, but in reality, nothing has changed in those three years where Terry has gotten better, gotten smarter. And I think if you just give it that, that extra punch of like showing us, don't just, you know, fucking tell us that they've changed. Fucking show us how much Terry has changed over these three years. Yeah. And how little Charlie hasn't. I like that idea. I like... Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. I, I think they need to... It's a goddamn masterpiece. 
Like, they definitely need to establish a better connection between the two of them. I think you're right. A flashback would have been nice up front. Um, yeah, they totally could have had a moment where, like, maybe Charlie even rescues Terry for some bullies. You know, because, like, oh, my God, there's Terry. His parents are getting divorced. Like, that's the totally sort of, like, ridiculous insult a 13-year-old to throw at another 13-year-old. Oh, yeah. So something like that could work. And then I, I don't think <laughs> it's he's... Terry, no parents, Terry. <laughs> It's Terry Broken House Terry. What are you doing here? <laughs> Terry Broken Home Terry. Um, I think. And then, and then you give us the fucking, give us, give us the hint of the Dana moment that when Terry gets out of juvie, either that's when he meets Dana or Dana's the one, you know, Dana's the first one waiting for. Like you show in the flashback that Charlie's the only one he had in his life at that point. Yeah. And so he depended on him to get him out of this shitty situation at home. Yeah. And so then when he gets out, you know, you have some people there for him. Like a stronger bond. Yes. Between the two of them would be helpful. Because friendship is the ultimate superpower, Chris. <laughs> it's how the super friends work. Exactly. So you think Aquaman can ride those dolphins without the power of friendship? No. Absolutely not. No, he's friends with those dolphins. That's why he keeps saying my man, <laughs> because he gets stronger with every friend he makes. <laughs> Bringing it back. Power doesn't come from the sea. It comes from friendship. Exactly. It comes from the heart. It was there all Earth, along. Wind, fire, water, heart. Heart. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Why don't you just sit this one out? Do you really need heart, Captain Planet? Because you got everything else already. It's kind of heartless. I don't think heart's going to help you pick up this trash. I don't think heart's <laughs> going to help you make a tornado. I think you do that just fine without it. Really is the I, I get the inclusion aspect, Captain or Captain Planet. I really appreciate, uh, you know, this kid whose only friend is a monkey. Yeah, he probably needs some. Oh, he probably needs some human friends. Yeah. Oh, do you forget he only has a monkey friend? Yeah. Who's the heart? Yeah. What's who, who's the heart kid? It's it's the the Indian kid. Oh yeah. Oh wait, Mati is he Indian or is he? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I was looking. At, oh, okay. It had a different picture when I first looked it up. Also, you love how I'm like looking through my glasses because I can't put them on with my headphones on. Oh, I okay. I didn't realize. I didn't realize that part. Um, yeah, like they don't. I mean, just put tuck them in into the into the the padding, or that that works too. <laughs> Probably never look more like an old man right now. Oh, you have not. Anywho. Um, I don't think he even had to have Charlie mutate in this, to be honest. I think you make this a more grounded story because one of the problems I've been finding with Batman Beyond in general with the villains is either they have a cool look or an interesting backstory, but oftentimes not both. Like, and this time neither. <laughs> here, like here, there's kind of like there is an emotional backstory that's not particularly well done. But there's an attempt at it, but like his look is stupid and grotesque and awful. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe you make this a more grounded story and show that Charlie, big Dick Charlie was always just prone to overreaction and violence, mm -hmm. maybe more so than being just purely arrogant. And so when this all like, you know, maybe it's one of those things too, where the, the crime is initially kind of small, like Terry basically maybe like 
turns a blind eye to the small crime. Like he even at one point tries to tell them like, you guys can just walk away. Right. You have him give a pass to his friend on a small crime. But, like that small crime, like something else goes wrong. It escalates. And by the end of the episode, like Charlie is in a situation where he has to like kill one of these other people that turned against him. And that's where Terry has to step in finally. And like, he doesn't have to like just fight him because he's like big and strong and ugly mm-hmm. and weird. But he has to take them down because he knows that like Charlie isn't like can't be redeemed. Yeah, and just make it a little more emotionally driven and make Charlie mm-hmm. a little more sympathetic and just less of a prick. Mm-hmm. Um, although by definition he's not a prick, he's Charlie Big Dick Charlie. Exactly. So that's how Terry has to beat him. He has to, he has to cut off his dick. <laughs> <laughs> he added that to the bat suit. Yeah, I am no, I am no longer Charlie Big Dick Charlie. I am just Charlie Charlie. <laughs> Charlie the eunuch Charlie. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, is, is your last name also Charlie? No. 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 But my middle name is. Yeah. Charlie the big dick Charlie Charlie. Yeah. Um, it's fine. It's kind of a shit episode. Mm-hmm. It could have. I mean, it had a lot of potential. It, it did. And I, I think that's kind of the what we've been finding a lot with this show is that there's episodes with potential that don't mm-hmm. necessarily take advantage. But, but I mean, that being said, um, inkling is really good. Yeah. And, and also it, it, as we talked about before, I think this gave us a draft of some of the best young justice episodes. True. Where you had, you know, the, the last four episodes of season one where every character kind of had their either secret story or redemption story. Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of the, the layout of like, okay, here are the story beats we have to do. Now, how can we improve on it? Yeah. Well, cause none of this happens in a vacuum. Like you only get the really good storytelling and writing it towards the end of the DCAU because you had just like mediocre storytelling mm-hmm. prior to it. Yeah. So, um, shall we move on to some notes from friends here? Let's do it. What are my uh, friends saying today? So, one thing. Have you been watching Doom Patrol? I have been watching Doom Patrol. Oh, it's okay. It's pretty fun. Okay, yeah. So, um, David Paul Barco III. Awesome name, by Great the name. way. Great uh, name. Yeah, he has messaged us on Facebook basically asking if, after having done Young Justice, we're going to do Doom Patrol. A few people actually have been asking if we're going to do Doom Patrol. Um, but you have been keeping up with it? I have been. It's, it's been it's fun. fun. It's fun. It's a fun okay, one. Okay, I should... I love... Um, if anything, the way they cut their trailers is so good. Like the the tease for the second, the yeah. next episode. Okay, because it's I mean, because uh, the voice of the show is all Alan Tudyk. It's all oh, Mr. Nobody. Oh, that's right, Alan. Alan Tudyk's Tudyk. Yes, uh, Alan Tudyk's. Uh, and it, it's all very kind of cut in this kind of surreal fashion, where I mean, the show is a very surreal show. Like every episode, you're like, "How did we get here?" Kind of okay. thing. And so the trailer kind of shows you a second of where they go. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's a rapping unicorn in the neck. Like what? it's stuff that you're like, what the fuck am I watching? Is this show even weirder than Umbrella Academy? A hundred percent. Cause I, I oh, really enjoyed so, it. I so really weird. enjoyed Umbrella Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty weird. But- Especially these last two episodes. Uh, I, I will, I'll tell you this. They solved a problem by going back in time and creating their own religion. I got to start watching this. Yeah. I got to start. Okay. I, I will start watching it this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we will. Because there's only f- 
four episodes out right now. Okay, yeah. So I'll, I'll start catching up on it, and then, uh, yes, I will make this promise. Now that mm-hmm. when the season ends, we will do an episode. Yeah. I, I am sad that uh, the character I wanted to like the most, Elastigirl, mm-hmm. is the most annoying character. Oh, really? Yeah. No, that's too bad. Yeah. How's uh, Matt Bomer? Uh, good, but also kind of annoying, because he doesn't... Because the two... They're, problem with the two of them is they don't know their powers yet oh okay so matt bomer's storyline right now is him just dealing with his inner demon oh okay uh, that has a you know its own personality oh interesting and then um gerda greta elastic girl yeah um she she's not elastic yet oh okay. so her thing is if she just loses her composure she completely loses her structure oh we saw that in titans which is like, yes. like a puddle thing mm-hmm yeah, so she so she still doesn't have a lot of control yet. So oh, okay. like when she starts to just feel a little stressed, you'll see kind of her, her face her melt, face droop. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, um, I always... so there's just not a lot for them to do yet. Okay, but Cyborg is great. Cyborg's great. Mm-hmm. Has uh, good old Timmy Dalton. Uh, not in it very much. <gasps> no, but, but when he is in it, he's great. Fantastic. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. love Timothy Dalton. Yeah. but I mean Brendan Fraser. Oh, and... he's he's kind of the main character. Oh my and god, I fucking lo- he's amazing. And then fucking Jane, Crazy Jane. Yeah is unbelievable i've heard that i've heard she's really good yeah okay i will start watching it and we will we will come to it mm-hmm. um infinitely better than titans well that's not hard to do now is it yes do you remember this is another leading into another question uh there was a while back you asked me if i thought at some point studios would start releasing brochures in theaters to like explain the backstory. i did i forgot i, I forgot the i asked I think, that i think was that question. alita we were talking about alita maybe you, yeah yeah, you yeah. For, for those movies where you spend the first like three minutes the first three minutes of the movie is just them explaining the world. Explaining the world, yeah. Because yeah. uh, give me those three minutes back, movies. Because um, Ashley Clark wrote in and she said, "I don't know if I don't know that I'm for the brochure idea." Uh, with the increasingly niche streaming services being offered, I'd sooner believe that they will start releasing their movies there if they're concerned about prior knowledge. And I totally agree with her. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. Plus, no, no studio is going to pay to print. I know brochures to hand out in a theater that are just going to end up on the floor. Yeah, that's true. So that ain't going to happen. I agree with you, Ashley. And we both disagree with you, Cameron. Hey, you know, that's fine. That's why it's my opinion. So suck it. Um, also, we got, I'm not going to say flack, Uh-oh. but we, I had a number of people basically message me being like, Captain Marvel's a lot better than you guys said it was. Yeah. Uh, friend of the show, KT, she wrote me, it's like, I'm three minutes in, I disagree with everything you said. <laughs> Smiley face. Um, and uh, also, same with like Maddie Washburn. He's like, guys, like it's so much better than you were talking about. It. I, I do want to give it another watch because I have friends that have seen it like three or four times now and yeah. they just love it. So I had Maddie send us in his thoughts and he wrote this very well-written piece. I haven't seen it a second time yet, have you? I've not. So I went and watched a much worse movie. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, what was the name of the movie? No, Cameron? it will remain well, nameless. I mean, you can try and whisper it to me, but we are sitting about five feet apart. Yes. I also already told you the name of the movie. So. And you, you know me, I am not very shameful for what I watch. No, you're not. So you know how bad of a film it was. You are shameless. So why don't we do it with this? Cause I thought about trying to do a revisit on Captain Marvel this episode, but one, we've already run long mm-hmm. and two, none of us have watched it again. So I think what we're going to do instead is we're going to promise that we'll both go see it again. And then after that, we'll revisit it and we'll also like gather thoughts from other people. Um, I will say this. like I, 
I didn't dislike it. I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. Yes, I'm in the same boat. Yes. Um, so I, I'm, it's one of those movies that I definitely want to go back. I, I think most Marvel films get better with the second viewing. I wasn't even super, super keen on Infinity War after the first viewing. Well, but that was a, part, that part was of a that, theater experience. Part of that was a terrible theater experience I had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we are definitely going to revisit Captain Marvel at some point, not for a whole episode, but for a segment. But we just need to go watch it again a second time and see if our opinions have changed. And okay. when we do that, we will read out Maddie's lovely letter uh, as well as thoughts from other friends of ours. Great. So, that being said, what are you plugging this week, Cameron? What am I plugging? I haven't watched a lot. As I, as I told you early, I got uh, really bad food poisoning this week, so I was, I was uh, bedridden for a few days. It finally caught up with me after I did the math. After 450 Chipotle trips, I finally got food poisoning. Now, worth, you know, the math, worth- that math is pretty, you know... Also, because you, you ran through this with me before the show, which was fantastic. Probably one of my favorite conversations I've ever had with you. <laughs> you also have to clarify that it's not like, like, for those of you who don't know, Cameron loves Chipotle. Like, I think the fact that I now live a block away from a Chipotle is, must be fantastic for you. Like, yeah. It's not, you don't mind coming here now because you know you can go get Chipotle. Well, so the thing is, in LA, there, there's more Chipotles than fast food restaurants. And I love that. Yes, there are a lot of Chipotles. And look, we, I, we I, live two and a half miles away from each other. Yeah. There are five Chipotles yeah. between you and me. Yes. Like, that's true. not an exaggeration. There are literally five Chipotles that I pass driving two and a half miles. Okay, so there's the one on Sunset right by me. Mm-hmm. There's the one at the Grove, the yep. Farmer's Market. Uh, I think there's one, on Be- there's one on Beverly right by the Beverly Center. Yep. What are the other two? There's one at Sunset La Brea. Wait, Sunset Le- No, not Sunset, sorry. No, um, um, Melrose. Melrose. Le- Le- Melrose Le- 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 yeah, because that's where I used to work. Yeah, this is the weirdest way for me to count, but yes. Uh, and then the one, and then my go-to at uh, 3rd and Wilshire. Ah, right. Okay, yeah, that's further south than I pretty much ever go. Mm-hmm. You're right. Okay, yeah, so there are like five Chipotles in the area. Like, that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, and I usually eat Chipotle at least once a week because I will walk to it from the office or there's one down the street. And I like mm-hmm. Chipotle. It's actually pretty healthy. Yeah. Uh, you just got to eat yourself a nice uh, burrito bowl. Brown rice. I'm not a beans fan, but by all means, get some beans. Good source of protein. Good mm-hmm. plant-based protein. Get yourself some double meat. Eat half of it and come back to it. That's the trick. Wow. Yeah, that's Look always that's always the trick. Sometimes double chicken, sometimes chicken and steak. It's fantastic. Um, oh, so because because of my my bedridden, right, yeah. I, I did not get to. Oh, also, I was gonna say. That, like, 450 trips, that is since, what, two... Wait. Oh, should, should I read my list off again? Yes, please. Please do. It, it, was, it was so fascinating. Uh, so being handcuffed my, to my bathroom for the week, <laughs> uh, this, is, this is what I spent my time doing. I made a list uh, of estimating my, the number of Chipotle trips I have done since my birth. Because uh, Chipotle and I uh, were both born the same year, 1993. So between 1993 and 2000... Chipotle was born. Yes. I was born into my life. Uh, so from 93 to 2009, when I didn't go very often, I probably went 10 times in those 16 years, but then I got a car and in 2010, I probably went 10 times that year. 2011 became more routine for me and my friends. We went probably about 18 times that year, a little more than once a month. Uh, 2012 in college didn't, wasn't crazy about it. Probably went once a month then cause we had, you know, food a lot closer 2013, I moved where it was two blocks away from me. So 2013 and 2014, my junior, sophomore and junior year of college, 
probably about 30 times each that, those years. 2015 is when I was really unhealthy and ate out for every single meal. It's so probably went about 45 times. So, you know, about two, a little over two times a month. 2016 is when I started working in LA and they're fucking everywhere, as I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. As we just broke down. So I probably went about <clears throat> 80 times in 2016, uh, starting my multiple times a week problem, only getting worse. 2017, probably about 90 times. 2018, uh, last year, I probably went to Chipotle about 100 times. So almost twice a week, every week. Uh, and then 2019, starting off this year on a very bad craze, uh, been about 25 times since until today. So that averages approximately 450 trips to Chipotle. So that is an average 450 Sorry, trips. That, that, approximates that, that approximates 450 yes. trips. Which considering that's like over the course of your life. Is not bad. It's not bad consi- like when you factor in how often you go to Chipotle. Like yes. It is just a joke at this point. It is. How much you go to Chipotle. Um, so, you know, one in 450, I'll take those odds. <laughs> so now... Apropos of where you started with this, of those 450 approximate trips to Chipotle, how many times you had food poisoning? Just one. Just one. Just one. That's a pretty good odds. Those are pretty good odds, right? It's better than going to El Compadre. Yeah. (laughs) They've got food poisoning like twice, and I've been maybe a dozen times. Yeah. Their margaritas are so good, though. They're very good. They're really good. When they they feel the little fire in the line. I know. Food's kind of mediocre, but I think what we're going to do from now on is go to El Compadre for margaritas and then go to, like, Toy across the street for some Thai food or go to the Electric Owl for dinner because the Electric Owl is so good. good. Walking distance, motherfucker. For you. Yeah. So my bat plug (laughs) is uh, the new Netflix anthology uh, Death, Love, and Robots. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I saw the trailer for it. It looked insane. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm only about four shorts in. So every episode is, you know, a different writer. It's all done by the same studio, Studio Blur, that just does unbelievable work. All these shorts look so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all just, it's, it's definitely Black Mirror-esque, but much shorter. So each, each short is kind of 10 to 20 minutes. Okay. Um, in their crit. So episode two is, is hilarious right now. It, it's probably my, mm, I don't know, episode one is, so, oh, all three are so good. I can't pick a favorite yet. Uh, Excuse me. but I'll, I'll talk about the second one for a quick second because it's, it's, uh, the post-apocalyptic future where three robots are now kind of touring or are, are acting as tourists in, uh, dystopian society where humanity has now all but died off. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and it's, it's cause they're, they're so far in the future that they don't understand human culture anymore. Uh huh. So they're seeing it as like tourist objects. So they're walking through like a gym and they see a basketball and like, what did they do with this? <laughs> and it's like, well, my record said they would bounce it. And so like one of the robots just picks it up and drops it. He goes, that was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it, it, it's very good. It's very funny. Episode one and three are just, they're, they're so gorgeous to watch. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't talk a lot about it cause there's, I think like 18 shorts they published mm-hmm. or uh, put out, but I'm very excited to finish them. Okay. I will, uh, I will check that out. Yeah. Cause I've heard, I've heard good things. I've been trying to figure out what my next ne- uh, next Netflix. That's difficult to say mm-hmm. show is going to be. 
because I can download on my iPad to get to the gym. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, I also forgot that I forgot that I watched this on uh, yesterday morning. Mm. Uh, not a great plug, but for me, it, it was something I had to cross off my list at some point. Uh, I finally watched the live action Kim Possible movie. Oh my god, I'm surprised we haven't covered that yet. I actually didn't realize it was out already. I kind of expected it, it, us it, to do a it, whole episode on it. It had been out for a month. It has been out for a month. And it's not bad. It's okay, let me for me. Okay, so is it not bad by your standards? Yes. Okay, by my so standards. it's atrocious. You, you would hate it's, it. It's atrocious. You, you would walk out I saw, immediately. I saw one clip and it looked horrible. Yes. It's like the clip of her like chasing after the bus and then it's like a runaway baby stroller. Yeah. And oh yeah. She, like, it's bad. Grapples and just like, it, it. What kind of upsets me is Christy Carlson Romano has a cameo, mm-hmm. but Will Friedel doesn't. Oh, Will Friedel. Yeah. And it kind of makes me sad. Much beloved Will Friedel. I know. From everything. Mm-hmm. He's the best. Yeah, from Batman, from our show. From Batman, from Kim Possible, from Boy Meets World. Yes. From everyone's fucking childhood. In one way or another, yes. he's been a part of it. Also, from everything I can tell, he just seems like super nice and friendly and charming. Yeah. And I adore him. Um, but yeah, it's it's bad. I'll, I'll just straight up say it's bad. Uh, but I had I had to I had to cross it off. You you did have to. I I honestly am surprised it took you a month. Like I didn't realize it was already out. I was I was so hesitant. Of like I mean my friends that saw it, you know, I had friends that got to go to the premiere of it. Oh my god, how Uh, exciting! I was very jealous. Well, because everyone was there. Uh, Uh, Okay. Like Chrissy Chrissy Carlson was there. Will was there. Uh, Taj Maori was there because he was the original voice of Wade. Raven Simone was there because she was the original voice of Monique. That's Uh, right. Like like. The the before kind of the new age not really new, not new age anymore but the kind of the Miley Cyrus age of Disney before that it was kind of the all stars of Disney were all in were all in that show yeah because it's an amazing show it's so good we should just do um, a podcast on that we, we should and what I appreciated about it is like they knew hardcore fans were gonna watch it and so they gave us just enough little treats. Mm-hmm. Of like, hey, you remember this? Because there's there's one where they have a new friend, they give her a makeover, and so they go to this hair salon, which is a whole episode in Kim Possible, where Ron gets a haircut and they first meet Senior 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 and Senior Senior Junior. Oh, <laughs> I love those love, guys so much. Um, real quick, who are all the villains that show up in in this one? In the live action, um, just two. Just Dracula. Three, if we include Shigo. Uh, no, because I forgot. The voice actor gets to play the real actor, and it's one of our favorites. Patton Oswalt is is uh is not Doctor Dementor, Professor Dementor. Oh my God! Yeah. yeah. So he he's the start villain. <gasps> That's fantastic. So we meet Professor Dementor, and then yeah, Draken and Shigo are the only three. But but by name we hear Senior Senior Junior, and we hear Duff Kilgan. Oh, Duff. Oh, good old Duff. I forgot about Duff Killigan. Yes. Uh, I need to go rewatch that show. Yeah. Is it out there somewhere? Is it available? Uh, it should, I, think, I think it's all in the Disney app. Okay. But it's just not organized. Those motherfuckers. Right? I have to watch things in chronological order. Yeah. Always. It's compulsive. I know. It's Kimpulsive? Yes. Yes, it I did is. It. I did it. It's Kim Pulsive. <laughs> I and did it. And they're making it. No, don't, don't, don't take it further than Kim Possible for me to do it. I hate you. No, damn it. <laughs> I, uh, what are you watching, you piece of shit? Uh, I've got two plugs this week. 
Um, uh, three, actually. Three plugs, technically. Um, one is this amazing documentary I went and saw called Apollo 11 on Guess What? Oh, yeah. I went, I went to Apollo see 11. that. I'm not sure. I think it's still playing in some theaters. I think for us, at least, it was at the Sunset Theater. and It, it was at the Grove for a few days. Okay, yeah. It might be at the Grove still, but it's out of the Sunset Theater. Um, but I caught it this week. And it's obviously about Apollo 11, which for those of you who do not know, was the 1969 uh, mission that landed us on the moon. So that is the first time we landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins, the whole thing. If you need to remember, Chrissy Carlson Romano did sing a song called Went to the Moon in 1969. Uh, is a real thing. From what? For Even Stevens. Oh, okay, I, you've lost me there. I know what Even Stevens is, but I have no interest in it. It's fine. It's got actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf in it. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But the what's cool with the documentary is it's completely built through archival materials. So there are no talking to interviews. There's no voiceover narration. There's like a little bit of graphics just kind of illustrate the different steps of the, the mission. Um, but beyond that, it is all pieced together from archival footage of the time and audio. So we're talking... Uh, official footage from NASA in camera from the Apollo capsule from the lunar lander, the LEM, um, the launch footage, like home movies that people shot when they all went out to go watch the rocket launch back in the day. Um, audio from the communications with the mission, uh, newscasts, interviews, that sort of thing. It's all piece in piece back together. Um, and then there's a, a more, contemporary sounding score on it that actually makes it really suspenseful. So did you ever see first man? I did not. So it's pretty good, but you know, there's a sequence where they're actually landing the lunar lander on the moon. And I always just kind of assume like they just like bloop, plop down and there you go. But no, I mean, of course they're coming in with speed. And so the movie in first man, they do a really good job making that scene suspenseful, but they do an equally good job in this documentary where it's all done from the camera inside the window of the lamb and we're watching the altimeter drop at the same rate that we're watching the like fuel seconds they have left. Oh shit. And it's like getting so, so close. And the, the music is really suspenseful. And so like, it's kind of like watching Apollo 13, the, the narrative film where you know what happens, but you're still kind of left wondering, wait, what is going to happen? Like I know how it ends, but it's still very suspenseful. It's really, really good. Um, actually really emotionally affecting too, because they do a really nice job of kind of capturing the the sense of awe, inspiration, and pride that the whole world felt at this accomplishment, um, you know, and even listening to the interviews with the the astronauts or even just their broadcast from the moon, how they were always emphasizing that it wasn't just an American accomplishment, but this was something for the whole world. So it's really beautiful, really inspiring. I highly, highly recommend it. I mean, especially if you're into that stuff at all, which I grew up loving that stuff. Did you, did you see, um, they shall never grow old yet? I still haven't seen it. Okay. I need to, I really want to. Cause I, I really like, I mean, I'll watch it and, and give the comparison. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I definitely want to watch that at some point. Cause I've heard it's great. It's kind of a similar sort of accomplishment. Yeah. Um, but no, that's really good. And then, uh, I also want to plug a video from our good pals at the watchtower database. Did this great video called uh, "Black Heroes Matter: Diversity in the DCAU," and so it's it's a lot of it focusing on particularly the efforts of Dwayne McDuffie, who was a comics writer. He started Milestone Comics, and then was brought on board to do Static Shock. But it, I mean, it goes through. It, it mostly focuses on uh, Static and John Stewart, but just how important um, 
those characters were in their own shows and inclusion in that universe. And also just like going in a little bit too of how challenging it was in some ways, how much backlash they got for having that inclusion. And I haven't watched static in years, but they definitely talked about, you know, some really powerful storytelling. You will, you will, we will. And I like, it made me super excited, especially to go back into static again. Like, you know, they focus on one episode that deals with racism head on with like Richie's dad. Yeah. Oh, that's like season being, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like halfway through season one, like being racist. And it, it was, um, it's a really, really it's a good episode. Great video. And, and guys take this as the compliment that's meant to be like, it felt like I was watching like a, like a mini documentary piece. Um, uh, it just, it's really well polished and really well told. And they did a fantastic job with it. Um, yeah, just, it's a, a just a great piece of, you know, documentary journalism about this thing that we love and yeah. um, its relevance today, especially. And I know they got, um, you know, they got some good traction on that too. Like I know uh, Phil Lamar, who they've interviewed before at, I want to say Emerald City Comic Con. He's amazing. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> like um, I know, I think he, he like retweeted or something like that too. Like it, it, it's getting a little bit of traction, which yeah, is fantastic. I, I met him once. Oh, nice. I, yeah. I, I got to do a, a video. I got to do a conference call with him actually. Oh, really? Yeah. He was good friends with one of my college professors. Oh, no shit. Uh, yeah. And he just like called in. It was also like days before they announced the Samurai Jack reboot. Oh, and so okay. That's all people were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. From everything I've heard or seen, he seems like a, a just a, a really cool, classy guy. Actually, no, wait, no, mm-hmm. I shit. Have I didn't you met talk, him as well. I didn't. Sort of. We interviewed him on a docu series that I was PAing on. Okay. So I didn't really meet him, but I got to listen into his interview mm-hmm. and just you, you kind of forget about the really storied career he's out had outside of voiceover work, too. Um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Very, very critical role in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, but he's incredible. It's a really great video. So that's uh, down in the show notes. The link to the um, that video from uh, Watchtower Database. So. Uh, and then, of course, there's a new episode of Gay at Forward. I also have to mention that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our friend Jose came on to talk about uh, his experience um, basically being gay and Latino. And specifically, we go into what like Latinx is. You guys have probably seen that term, but it basically is just like a non-gendered description of Latin culture. And he kind of goes into um, where he sees queer representation in Latin culture and stuff. It's, it's a really good episode. Mm-hmm. Of my own thing. Nice. No, that's good. No, you can, you can plug your own shit. I'm going to. I'm going to plug my own stuff. Um, but yeah, so those are all be down in the show notes. Nice. Yes. Are we oh, good? We did it. We good? We finally? Finally. I forgot when we have energy. We just fucking talk a lot. We do. I know. We just have lots. Well, I think we, you know, especially like recording Monday evenings is tough. Especially mm-hmm. with Captain Marvel and none of us are super excited about it. Yet. Yes, we might be. We might be someday. Mm-hmm. That's the hope. Um, but no, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We appreciate when you write to us. Uh, and we can be found at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Uh, in particular, a shout for opinions on Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Send us those. We, we will do a proper revisit and try and uh, get some broader sense of what people thought of that movie. Um, and then I am at Lordifer on Instagram and uh, Twitter. I think uh, no, by the time this comes out, I had some story stuff up because I went to Drag Brunch yesterday. You did. Uh, first time going to Drag Brunch in Hamburger Mary's. So much fun. Isn't it? It's real. You, you've done it before, hadn't you? Uh, I half. I, I went with, I brought my mom. Oh, that's right. Uh, and we, we sat on the patio. But we kind of watched it from afar. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely something we need to go do again. Yeah. It was really, really fun. Um, I guess that's another unofficial plug, guys. If you're in LA, go to Drag Brunch at Hamburger Mary's. Yeah. It's great. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. So, 
Uh, you can find you at Drag Brunch. You can find me at Drag Brunch every Sunday. Yeah. Or Saturday. Or in the middle of the week. Yeah. Why not? There's no judgment. Yeah. I mean, they're not having a brunch there, but I'm sitting there waiting for one. Mm-hmm. It's got to get good seats. They yeah. fill up quick. Yeah. And if I can't find someone to perform, I'll go out to the street and drag them in. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> fucking uh, If you want to find me, you can find my art at Cameron.Dexter. Uh, if you want to see my face and how sick I am, you can find <laughs> that uh, at CamDexter underscore adventures. I had a little rant because I posted this on Instagram. And yes, I got you a had, lot of you had, you had a, a rant about the birds at the top of the yes, Pacific. Yes, it's a big deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach about it here for another quick second because we're already way too late into this podcast. So fuck it. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who's still listening, if you go to a Pacific theater movie theater, they, they just such as the Grove, such as the Grove or the Americana, which are the only two. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like it. Uh, they just got a new intro bumper, which is so poorly animated. It's, it was it looked like it was done in like 2002 with like version one of Render Man. <laughs> uh, but at the top of the screen, they have birds flying across uh, and they're rendered out at the wrong frame rate. And it's so frustrating because they'll they're only on screen for two seconds at most but they skip across because they're not they're not in sync with the rest of, like, it, they were clearly done on a separate plane so they, they don't sync up with the rest of the animation and it's very frustrating to watch and when you see it you're never going to not see it again so fucking have at it and on that note uh bye cameron's off to go protest outside of the pacific grove <laughs> theaters you can find him there all week yes <laughs> thanks everybody thanks guys bye